Peace Lab, the show where we try to have conversations about the intersections of Mennonite peace building and faith in the 21st century. I'm Hannah Heinzecker, one of the co-hosts for this podcast and the executive director of the Mennonite Inc. Back from a good vacation, which I was glad to have last week. And thanks to Jason and Megan for holding down a really good conversation while I was away. And joined today by Jason Boone, my co-host, the director of Peace and Justice Support Network. Hi, Jason. Good to have you back, Hannah. Thanks. Good to be back. And also today, our guest is Darren snyder Belusic, who not too long ago returned from attending the Orlando Mennonite Church USA convention as a delegate for Ohio Conference, his first time in this role. But Darren is also a member of Salem Mennonite Church in Elida, Ohio. He's wife to Paula and father to Liam. He has seven years of experience serving with Mennonite Mission Network, intersected with a variety of congregations at different places throughout Mennonite Church USA, and also serves as the executive director of Bridge Folk, which is an organization bringing Catholics and Mennonites into conversation with one another. And Jason, I know you and Darren have intersected before in Raleigh, actually. Darren and Paula were great uh, service adventure leaders, and then I think Liam came about halfway through your term there, right, That's Darren? Right. Yeah. And, you know, I have a lot of debts to pay in the Mennonite Church, you know, coming, you know, as I did, I just sort of jumped in with both feet, and I had a lot of good guides and people, you know, formally and informally who helped me understand things. And Darren was one of those. Uh, I don't think he maybe knew the impact he had, but even in our informal conversations there, Darren would help me sort of get my theology straight and, and in order and think about, okay, well, this this line of thought preceded this, which led to that, uh, and, and just really helped me get a handle on things. And so uh, I, I do want to say thank you for that, Darren. And uh, you know, the friendship that grew out of uh, your time in, in Raleigh is what I value the most, but, but I do appreciate your you know, taking time, even in those informal conversations, to, uh, to help me out. And it's good to see you here on Peace Lab Podcast. Yeah, and good to see you too. Of course, the others out there only are going to hear us, but we see each other on the screen right now. <laughs> but uh, no, it's great. It's great to renew that. It's good to see you down at Orlando and get a brief bit of window of time in between all the busy stuff here and there to chat and to recall those good conversations we had down in Raleigh. And, you know, that's the stuff. That's the stuff I love in the church. You know, it is, it is, it's that uh, smaller scale interpersonal kind of conversations that, uh, that indeed have this long-term impact in ways. It can be a one-off thing. And I've, you know, I have these one-off conversations sometimes with people when I travel and you just don't ever know who you're going to meet and who you're going to talk to. And I make a prayer, like to show me who I'm supposed to talk to and what, Go to a conference, even with lots of people. Maybe there's just that one person I'm supposed to have a really, a really solid conversation with, and who is that, and what's that to be? And then you don't know what comes of that for yourself or that person, you know. So it's good to hear back at times, you know, that some of those seeds have borne borne good fruit. And so I certainly took a good things away from my time at Raleigh, and I'm glad you have too. Well, Darren, we've uh, brought you here today. I guess that sounds a little formal, but but hoping to have a conversation about this future church summit that you got to participate in as a delegate. This large group visioning process that took place at Orlando and that included all of the delegates, as well as about 100 other lay leaders and individuals called into that process to kind of dream. I think what the, the question was how we want to be Anabaptists together in the 21st century, what we're being called to to do together. And so, Darren, I wonder if you can just give us your sense as you kind of thought about this whole process. Can you just describe your sense of the Future Church Summit for those maybe who weren't there? Yeah, well, it was a very interesting process to participate in. I you know, tried to follow 
the advanced uh, kind of promotional uh, of it on the MCUSA website and to get a sense for what it would be, what to expect, that kind of thing. They had done a sort of a preliminary kind of uh, minute, smaller scale version of this at the uh, Constituency Leadership Council. And so I heard a little bit from people from Ohio Conference that had participated that read the write-up about that and had a bit of a sense for it. But really, it was sort of going in, not really knowing quite what to expect of what, what would happen. You just kind of show up, go to your table, and see who else shows up, and then, you know, and so on. So I was trying to sort of go, go with the flow of it and give myself into it and be part of it. But at the same time, I'm a philosopher by training and really by temperament. And so I'm always thinking and I'm always observing and I'm always analyzing what's what's happening here, what is this, what's going on here, and what's at play. So I kind of had a dual level experience there, what I was doing with my table group members around the table there, and and uh, and then also what I was sort of thinking and reflecting on the, uh, on the whole picture thing and the processes we were going along. And sort of how would you describe it? Well, I suppose you could describe it in different ways. In one way, I mean, I've seen some reflections or determined this was, this is a massive uh, integrated brainstorming session. And, it, and I think it's accurate up to a point in, in which you're trying to just generate ideas from all kinds of different directions and so forth and try to, you know, see, do they, do any of them meet in the middle kind of thing? Do, do any, are there any convergences, you know, places where things come together? At the same time, it wasn't on the screen and that first, that opening session of the Future Church Summit, in which the facilitator laid out a kind of a flow chart. Um, and I said, we're going to start here, and then there was an arrow, and then we're going up to here, and to here, and to here, and to here, and back around, and then showed it going around to a place at the end in which we were going to talk about, finally, this question of what kind of church we're going to be together going forward. And that's what we did at the very last session in this World Cafe conversation. And so in that sense, you could sort of see, well, this was a this was an intentionally laid out pathway through this process to get us to a point where we're then going to try to sort things out, come to some consensus or whatever. It's not clear for a, a vision going forward. So at that point, you know, it's a brainstorming session. You're just, you're in it. Whatever, but at the same time, you realize, well, yeah, I'm also being, it's also a guided tour, if you will. It's also, you know, there's a tour guide here. I don't mean to diminish the facilitator's role that way, but we went on a tour of Turkey last year. We had a professional tour guide who did an excellent job, right? I mean, the tour guide has a very important role here. Um, and then who is sort of guiding you through these stages, and we're going to this place and to this place and to this place, and that's going to culminate here. So you had both of this sense of both of these things happening together, uh, a little bit of the, I don't want to call it chaos, but, you know, of all the stuff happening at all these tables at the same time and shuffle, all the shuffle. And then you have the, you, but then the sense, yeah, though, there's a bigger plan here of guiding, guiding it through. So that's just an impressionist, you know, kind of response initially to what it was like to be, to be part of that, yeah. And, and so what, uh, and that seems to be, yeah, we appreciate that sort of from delegate, uh, Darren, as, as you just kind of walked through the process. What, what did you see as philosopher, Darren, as you contemplate <laughs> how that process went and, and what emerged from it? Did you have any? Uh, sure. Yeah. Uh, well, I'd say at, at, at two levels, uh, two different angles here. Uh, one was, and this is something I thought about going, before going in, when this uh, kind of the general schema of it was laid out, so we're going to have this large-scale process, these sort of things. 
Well, you know, a lot depends in these processes, uh, which I participated before in different contexts and uh, for different purposes and so on, that a lot depends upon the questions you pose, right? Um, the questions themselves are not, uh, you ask them for a reason. They're not just random questions that you thought would be, you know, generated out of a, uh, a random question generator, right? They're very specific questions that you have selected for a purpose to sort of guide the process in a, in a particular way. And so I was keen on thinking about what the questions would be, and we, we didn't get the questions until, oh, maybe a month or even less before the convention. Maybe that's a little generous when the delegate booklet, the program booklet was published. And so then you can start looking specifically, okay, can I see, you know, what's the, what's the pattern in all the questions here and that sort of, uh, sort of thing. But one of the, one of the things as I, as I looked, looked at the, looked at the questions and here, here's something that actually came out near the end of the FCS. If you look at all the questions, there's only one question that, that mentions Jesus, right? And it's the question that came, uh, I guess uh, in the afternoon on on a Friday afternoon, sort of what what does it? How are we going to envision following Jesus as Anabaptists in the 21st century? Which I think was kind of was to be like the keynote theme for the whole for the whole thing. But it's the only one that specifically named named Jesus. And so we were doing these input sessions around the tables, uh, and however many you know 70, 90 tables, whatever there were, people doing these inputs through iPads. They were going to the theme team and then they were collating these and trying to see where there were convergences to come up with, you know, themes. Well, and then afterwards, not long afterwards, they were coming up to the podium to then say, here's what we saw, right, in all the data. And one of the theme team members would come up and this time it was, as I recall, it was Isaac Viejas um, came up, started talking, he said, well, we were just talking to us ourselves over in the theme team that these are the first responses we've gotten that are talking about Jesus, right? From all the, from all these people around all the tables. And then we thought to ourselves, well, this is the first time a question asked about Jesus, right? And, and so in that way, they were kind of surprising themselves in that way. But it's a, that was kind of a, a reminder to step back and say, well, the, the responses you get are going to reflect the questions to some extent, the questions you've asked. Um, and it was a it was a way of sort of stepping back and thinking, okay, if they were surprising to themselves, the, this group that had designed the process and, and and formulated the questions, that all of a sudden it was only until this point, rather you know well into probably two thirds of the way into the process, that now we're getting lots of talk about Jesus from the tables. And if they had wanted more of that, then it was sort of like they were surprising themselves. How, how did it happen that? this was only becoming, you know, a, a substantive part of the conversation at that point. Now, it had been a session right before that where it, there were, it was about peace and evangelism, right? And then there was, you know, talk about Jesus, but that didn't get into the theme uh, report because it wasn't then, there wasn't inputs around that, uh, on that question from around the tables. So there was talk about Jesus before that, but this was the first time it was going into the the list of themes has ended up in the report because this is the first time. It was. So it's a, it's a reflection to sort of think back and you step back and say, well, the answers you get are going to in some way reflect the questions. And if you're not being specific with people that, oh, we just thought people would go there. Well, people take their cues from the questions you ask. And, and that's what I tried to do going through. I didn't, I, okay, a couple of times maybe I second-guessed the questions, but I tried to sort of answer the questions as I thought that they were intended. 
And and so, and if other people are doing likewise, well, then that's for you. That's a you know a reflection on the process um, that I had in the middle that actually surfaced in beyond me was you know uh, became part of the bigger conversation there. Sure, I want to kind of follow up on this. In here, you talked both about this session when people were kind of asked to answer kind of a two-part question, one focusing on peace and one focusing on evangelism. And there were kind of two conversations happening simultaneously on different sides of the stage with Catherine Barnes, the facilitator in between. And I think she said explicitly, you know, we didn't mean to bifurcate these things with these questions, but stick to these questions talking about one or the other. Um, right. And you've written a lot about, or you wrote at least one piece about this for Midnight World Review. I wonder if you want to reflect on, on that particular session and, and question a little bit. Right. I, I suppose, yeah, okay, so to get the setup, uh, so there was a, and I, going in, it wasn't clear from the schedule, it just a plenary session, and it named there would be a circle process or something like this. I didn't know what that meant. I thought maybe we would sit in our table groups, maybe a larger circle, gather three, four tables together in a larger circle process. I didn't know. Well, it turned out this was up on the main stage. It wasn't really a plenary process because not everybody was participating. Um, it was a self-selected group who would go up to the stage when the, you know, when the, when the invitation was given, who wants to come up and, and, and speak. And it was kind of a, a, a structured open mic time. Um, in, in which people could just have their say up on stage. And the, the structure in, in this plenary session was, yeah, it was so the two questions about, you know, uh, about one about peace and, and, and how are we going to be a peace church and, and what's evangelism going to mean for us. Uh, I think they were also in the 21st century or whatever. But, and yeah, and, and then she starts to give the instructions. Well, okay, there, I think there were six chairs and kind of a, an arc and he says, well, the three on one side are for peace and the three on the other side are for evangelism. And, and people who want to speak to the one come up this side of the stage. If people want to speak to them, come up this side of the stage. And she acknowledged at that point, yeah, we're not trying to bifurcate or divide, or not, but we, just, we do want you to speak to one or the other. Now, I don't know why they did it this way. You would have to ask the design team uh, what was on their mind and maybe they had a good, maybe they had a good concern uh, for this. Maybe they thought, people would just come up and talk peace and nobody would talk evangelism. Maybe they, maybe they're concerned to give evangelism kind of equal standing as it were. Um, and if so, okay, that's a good concern. But as it worked out, if, and if you just sort of say, well, what's, what am I reading here by what's happening? What, what's the message as I put it, what's the message in the medium? The medium here is the process that's happening. What's the message that it's sending to us about peace and evangelism? And indeed, that peace and evangelism, well, they can sit on the same stage together. Okay, we've got that. But people who come to these questions come at them from opposite directions. And I mean, just the, just the optics of it on the stage. And then they sit in the same row of seats, but they don't talk to each other. And the facility has separate conversations with peace speakers here, then turns to the evangelism speakers, has a separate little interaction with them, and then goes back and forth. Okay, and then maybe that was trying to give equal time or balance to these two. Maybe that was the point of the process. But then the implication, of course, is then peace and evangelism are just these two things that kind of run side by side, kind of on, maybe on parallel tracks, but they're, you know, they're not here. Now, some of the speakers did, you know, cross, deliberately cross that, you know, crisscross that uh, boundary and try to try to offer some comments that integrated the two. But that I took away from as I watched that unfold and I was taking notes just as an observer. And I, I just found myself sitting back and saying, wow, what did we just do? Perhaps 
we didn't, didn't realize what it was going to do till we were doing it up on the stage. And, and so, but did we just replicate a division between evangelism and peace that, my goodness, some of us have been trying so hard to, to break down, right? And, and, and whether it's a bigger divide that we see within, between peace churches and evangelical churches, and maybe that's part of, oh, we don't want to be associated with evangelicalism or evangelical denominations or whatever, we're a peace church, and, or if that's it, or if there are ways of articulating the gospel and ways of promoting the gospel evangelism that we found problematic, and so we pull back from that and we're about to, well, whatever the, whatever the causes of that within the Mennonite church, there have been some of us and who have been working hard to try to pull these two together, pull them back together where they belong, where they were in the beginning, right? With Jesus, and you just read the Gospels. There's no separation between salvation and peace in the Gospel, right? And it's one Jesus at the heart of both of them. And then to see that played out, what kind of you did pull them back apart in the process here, I, I just thought, oh, what did we just do? And I don't want to put be too hard on the design team. That's not my point, because maybe they were looking at this, oh, that's not what we wanted either. But then it's a point then to sit, step back, um, if we wanted more talk about Jesus, well, then we need perhaps need more intentional of getting those, of, of fronting those, that kind of question earlier in the process, maybe. And if we don't want peace, and, if we really want peace and evangelism to fit together, one church, one gospel, kind of one Jesus sort of thing, then perhaps we could have envisioned, you know, a different process that could have helped that interaction happen, you know, and and so on. So in, in part, I'm smiling as I'm saying this to you, the people out in, uh, you know, podcast land can't see that uh in part uh to just sort of back on ourselves like okay how did we fall into that how did we fall into that again um and so perhaps a lesson going forward to sort of really to think through what will be the the medium uh, the message in the medium when we do this how we do it is going to send a message and we got to be very attentive to that in doing this kind of process again if we do if we do it so you know, and just for folks who may not have heard, uh, if you go to our Peace Lab archives, just last week we had a, a good conversation with Megan Good about this subject, about peace and evangelism. And uh, I think this is something we'll probably be exploring at different times too you know, on the podcast, but as a church as well. I mean, this is, comes down to some fundamental things that you know, as we think about our mission and our future that, that are going to factor large. You know, uh, thinking back to the Future Church Summit as a whole, uh, it seemed to be that uh, most people had a, a good experience, that it, it, it was taxing in some ways, but, but a good experience. But then you get to the end, and, and I think the, the end result was unsatisfactory for some people for different reasons. Some people thought it, it ended okay. Um, but Darren, you, you wrote uh, you know, very articulately about why you made a decision to abstain from voting on the resolution that would have, uh, I guess, codified the, the results of the, of the theme team as the direction for the church. Um, I wonder if you could summarize that for folks who maybe haven't had a chance to read your blog or, or what you've written about it. Sure. This was an evolving, for me, an evolving kind of uh, thing in my mind, which was distinct from, in a way of making a decision, from what the Future Church Summit, what we actually did in the Future Church Summit, uh, and whatever the value of that uh, of that is. Um, it was it was about the, uh, about the process of how Mennonite Church USA as was functioning here through through the delegate uh, body and that backs up all the way to uh well probably about january or so when the first uh was, i think it was in january that i was asked to be a delegate for a conference 
And then it was about that time that the first, uh, you know, uh, promotional materials about the Future Church Summit were being put up and so forth. And so uh, back early then in the year, I start reading on this to try to inform myself what's going to be happening. Uh, part of the bigger background, which I didn't write about in the blog piece, it was already too long as it was, was the expectation that Orlando would be a different kind of convention as far as delegate assembly. And indeed it was. I mean, we'd never done this before and it was different. But the one thing that I think many of us were expecting is that we weren't going to be doing business in a way that was going to try to produce an outcome that we would then vote on, right? Uh, that it wasn't geared towards a vote, uh, whatever we were doing. We weren't generating a product that was the delegates that were going to vote on and say yay or nay about. That was going to be something else that we were going to do in our time together. And so that was, that was sort of the mindset. This would be different. And then when the first profile of the Future Church Summit was put up on the MCUSA website, and I read that, and I realized at some point, I don't know, about two-thirds of the way down, something like that, it says, well, then the delegates are going to be pulled back together and asked to affirm, you know, take some kind of action with respect to this. And at that point, my, my I start, you know, my radar starts, do, 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 what's going on here? What does that mean? I don't know exactly what that means. But I thought, we weren't going to, this is sounding more like we're gearing back into the kind of thing we do. We've just done a different way of generating a resolution. Is that, is that what we're doing? And it turns out the answer to that turned out to be yes. This was a different way of generating a resolution for the delegates to, 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 to vote on. And so just at that level, it's sort of like we could, perhaps as MCUSA, we could take a step back and say, how did it end up? that we did do business as usual at, at Orlando in this sense that we generated a resolution that we voted on. And, but the idea was, well, maybe we should just get away and have a convention without resolutions to vote on, right? And we had the tabled resolution on Israel-Palestine that was left over. Okay, we had to deal with that. But then we were going to have something different, which wasn't going to be geared towards voting on a resolution. And that ended up being what we did. It did it in a different way with the Future Church Summit. So that, that's part of the larger framing is uh, perhaps on my part and on others, you know, a, a frustration about that. If we were going to do a, a convention a different way, which wasn't geared towards voting on a resolution, then why did we end up doing something that was geared toward voting on a resolution? So perhaps something for executive board and the moderator step back and say, you know, in some ways we were kind of promised something which didn't come to be. Um, now, in other ways, there were clearly people who were expecting something to come to be, which didn't come to be uh, uh, around the future church summit, or at least didn't come to be in the way that they had expected and so on. And here's where the other part of this is more where the critique that I was offering in the blog piece comes in. For most of us, either we didn't make the appropriate inference from what had been presented by uh, Manhattan Church USA that we would be voting on a resolution. Maybe that's what we were supposed to understand from, but it didn't say we were going to vote on a resolution. Even if you did make that inference, well, what was the resolution? As I worked through preparing for uh, uh, different stages for coming to Orlando, you know, I asked different questions of the executive director and the moderator by email. Um, I had, was able to directly interact with the executive director, Irvin Stutzman, when he came to our congregation for a delegate, uh, a meeting with delegates uh, prior to the convention and so on. I'm trying to get answers and find out what more of what's going on here. 
uh, I think then when we finally get to Orlando, or right before we get to Orlando, then it is revealed there's going to be a resolution that the delegates are going to vote on, but the language of it is not being spout, spelled out, but it's being leaked, <laughs> if you will. It's getting out, and people are talking about what's going to and so on. And so, well, what is it? What isn't it? And so on. I, I found that this was dis, uh, just a disorienting, frustrating thing. I mean, the word transparency keeps coming to mind here, and there was, just wasn't enough transparency here uh, leading up into Orlando about what it is that we as delegates would be doing. Uh, when it came to that, there are lots of transparency around Israel-Palestine. Oh my goodness, we had oodles of transparency and process around this, and that was good. That was good. But around this, it was like it was being closely held. And as I came to learn down the line, getting to Orlando, talking with people, after Orlando, seeing what some people were posting about it, uh, Annabeth Rushley had a piece on uh, the Mennonite blog that laid some of this out from her angle as a member of the design team. There was some, well tug of war going on between design team and executive board around this. Would there be a resolution? Wouldn't. What would that resolution say? What would be the level of vote needed? You know, I understand the design team wanted 80%, which makes sense. If we're going to have a resolution saying the FCS report sort of gives us the direction for the denomination and gives us priorities to be implemented, and that was the language of the original resolution about implementing a direction, uh, well, then a high level of vote, 80%, that makes sense. And so in that way, I'd say, oh, well, the I, I give kudos to the design team for seeing that connection and say, yeah, and we need a high level of vote here to really go forward with this at 80%. But then the executive board wanted to back down to 50% plus one, but with the same language of the resolution. And it's like, wow, what, what's happening there? Uh, and then the resolution language was getting in flux in that. And who, what was it going to be? And then we get to the delegate session on Saturday. And it was like all up for grabs. Not quite. But it was just all. And so I found, yeah, at that point, I just felt like I couldn't have done, I couldn't do my homework as a delegate. I couldn't do my due diligence as a delegate on behalf of Ohio Conference because I couldn't consult with you know, the conference uh, about what it, what it is I would be voting on, which wasn't really known to me until that Saturday morning. Uh, and then the more confusion involved because at the beginning of the FCS, they read out, moderator read out the original language of the, or no, she read out the new language of the resolution, the revised language, but on the screen was the original language. And we were left wondering, wait, wait, wait which is it? What is it? Ah, uh, what? And we're trying to ask each other, did you catch it? Did you catch it? And so we're still, you know, even at that point. So all these things combined, I think, just weighted in favor. Like, you know, I didn't want to give to vote yes or no would be in some way to say that this process itself was okay. And it wasn't okay. It wasn't transparent enough. And it didn't give congregations and conferences prior opportunity to really do the kind of consulting with each other that would be needed to inform the delegates as they went to this, uh, the delegate session. Um, and so that's, in the end, why I abstained. That wasn't about uh, objecting to the Future Church Summit. Um, it was about really objecting to the process that had happened all around it. Uh, yeah, I, and that was a struggle. I didn't know going down the line. I was still holding, you know, and talking with, I talked, continued to talk with my other delegates from Ohio Conference throughout the a future church summit and down there and so on and talk what are you going to do what are you going to do what do you think what do you think kind of thing 
And I think at the end, I just came like, and especially after seeing what happened Saturday morning, which I, I, I found my head spinning around as a delegate, trying to figure out what's just happened? What just happened? What are we doing now? What are we doing now? It was, it was kind of chaotic on Saturday morning and trying to fit in all of that in one hour. And I just like, I can't responsibly cast a vote here, so I'm going to abstain. You know, so, and given kind of all of this process and how things ended in Orlando, what are your hopes as you think about what happens with the work that was done at the Future Church Summit? I know now we've kind of commissioned it to the wider church yeah. area conferences, congregations for discernment. That was the word that ends up getting yeah. the resolution. What do you hope? How do you hope your congregation or your conference will engage this, if at all? Well, that's a that's that's a that's a really good question. I know there were there were some congregations that were engaging this before Orlando. Uh, we had gotten uh, in that delegates uh, meeting here at our congregations in Ohio that I mentioned. We had gotten and maybe we got the advanced copy of the questions for the future church summit. Irvin had them with him, and he was willing to let us copy them off. And I know there was one congregation here in Northwest Ohio that was wanting to process those questions as a congregation before the delegates went to Ohio. So that's, in one sense, that's already started to happen. Uh, now that we have the report, that'll be the thing that people will look to. I expect that this will be on the agenda for uh, Ohio Conference Pastors Gathering. These happen, I think, by, uh, semi-annually, and so there'll be one coming up in the fall where all the pastors gather for a day. And that probably will be on the on the conference sort of what what now do we do with this? Uh, in in previous years, there have been things which conference leadership has said we we put this out to the congregations. We want you to process and discuss this, and here are the questions, and here here's what we'd like you to do to get to generate feedback through the pastors to the pastors gathering. So that sort of thing might happen, and that would be uh, that would be good uh, to have happen to get as many congregations to. Um, engage with that and provide some kind of feedback. Of course, it's unclear what we're, what it is that this is all pointed towards. Presumably in two years, maybe four years, it's unclear there might be some specific resolution that would come out of this. Uh, maybe be about church polity, sort of reworking church polity, uh, you know, the structure of the denomination and, and lines of authority and that kind of thing. Um, it could be about something else, but so it's unclear at this time. We're doing, we're sort of re reflecting on it, reacting to it, but toward what end? Uh, that's not, that's still not clear. Um, and until that is clearer, it'd be hard to have really concerted, substantive conversation. It would be just all impressionistic. What do you think of this? What do you think of this? What's your reflection on this? Uh, what do you see in this? That kind of thing, which is useful to start with, but the real discernment would begin when it is that we have something toward which some question or resolution toward which we are we are working and and that probably won't come until after we've got a new executive director in place and that would perhaps guide a process of forming a resolution out of the out of the future church summit report um, as what they think here's the highest priority thing that seemed to emerge the thing in which there is greatest consensus on highest priority and maybe we'll make that the subject of a resolution um, somewhere down the line. Yeah, I guess that's, it's, it's hard to, it's hard, it's hard to say. The, the theme report is just a whole panoply of, of, of things, right, across a wide range of, of stuff. And uh, it's hard to know what to do with it other than to sort through it, look through it, have impressionistic responses to it at this point until there's something more specific to guide a, a discernment process that congregations and, and, and conferences then can really work with.
This is fascinating to me. I'd love just to get input on this from a pretty big level. Like, what does this mean or uh, the Future Church Summit and how it's shaken out? How is this going to shape how we do discernment as a body going forward? You know, uh, a lot of times if I'm talking to folks who are not in the Mennonite tradition and they find out you're with a peace church, they don't necessarily ask about all the time about pacifism or war or what your stance is on some current issue. That They say, well, how do you all get along? Well, how do you process things internally? Like that's, that's sort right. of what you want to do. And I kind of look at this big arc, you know, the Mennonite church moved from, I guess, the shoulder tap era where, you know, discernment was made by somebody at a desk who calls you in. And then the reforms came that, that led us sort of to this committee model that, that we internally sort of joke about being laborious, but it is better than what it was before. And it seemed like future church summit was trying to turn a corner and say, maybe there is a, a new, new pl- we're going to evolve in how we discern. I, I'll confess, I've never been like very comfortable with, you know, sort of the, the 50 plus one resolution model. You know, that, that doesn't seem like we don't do anything else like that, but we put very important issues, you know, in, in that format. But yeah. I, what would you hope to see our, our church-wide discernment practices go coming out of Future Church Summit, Darren? It's a good question. Um, there is still a lot of shoulder tapping that happens and should happen. It happens in con- congregations. Hey, have you thought about doing a mission term? Have you thought about going to seminary? Have you thought about being a pastor? Ooh, yeah, no, that, that's happy. And that, and that, and that feels natural and normal and appropriate in a congregational context where we're paying attention to each other in relationships uh, and we're following each other on a journey together. And we're saying, yeah, you know, I've, I've seen these gifts in you. I've seen this passion in you. Have you thought about this and trying to direct people? That kind of discernment should go on. But uh, in larger structures, then if you keep following that model in larger scales, and well, then that just follows a line largely of who knows who. And, and I, I know that's happened with me of trying to sort of think about speakers for a conference. Well, who do we know? Right. And, and, and often they follow those kinds of lines and so on. And that gets you only so far. And people are right to sort of say, well, does that leave us without adequate representation, with an inadequate discerning body when it comes to the delegate assembly or, in, or it comes to an executive board or something like this? And we need to think more broadly and find ways of bringing that in. This is a question of what, how do we say what the Church of Church Summit was? Uh, I mentioned before thinking about it as a big brainstorming session, uh, but others have talked about it, and particularly those who have been on the design team um, and were promoting this as a discernment process. And that, that the Future Church Summit itself, the, those sessions and what we were doing was itself discernment. And there I sort of, I want to hit a pause button. And, and pull back. And this is one of these other observational things pulling back. Is this a, was it a discernment process? And if, if it was, what's that saying to us about the church? Because these two things go together, how we do discernment and what we think the church is and so forth. These really mesh together. And you can sort of stop and think, well, discernment we've often talked about is shaped by certain kinds of practices, uh, practices of praying together, practices of worshiping together, practices of reading and reflecting on scripture together. And none of that was part of the Future Church Summit. There, that was happening in different ways throughout the convention, sort of surrounding it. But in the actual summit itself, in our table groups, around with each other, we were not doing those things. And one of the things I would say going forward, I want to speak you know, positively to something, not just uh, critically here. And I, as I've been thinking about this, sort of uh, going forward, I would say, I would suggest, do this again in two years. Do it again. Just do it over one day. 
doing it over those, you know, from Thursday night to, yeah, this got a bit, okay, do it over one day, uh, morning to evening, and delegates, and then anybody else who wants to jump in, right? Uh, anyone else who wants to sign up and participate who's at the convention, uh, youth, older people, anybody, age, whatever age, whatever, whatever, and, and, and bring a, a large group of people together. Um, and in which we would do, and I just sort of listed out here, we do five things together during that day. The five things that we do in our congregations, if our congregations are healthy and fruitful, we do these things. And we're healthy and fruitful on account of doing these things. And one is, I thought the most important session we did in the Future Church Summit, and I, and I affirm this, the most important session we did was the very first one where we sat around our tables and shared stories. And we did this one-on-one, -on -one. We, but we just did two go-arounds there. So you did this with just two other people at your table. There could have been six or eight people at your table. And, and there were personal questions about faith journey, faith story questions, um, and your journey as a Christian, your journey as a disciple. And we shared those with, and so I did it with one person and then with another, and everybody did likewise. And I thought, I thought this was grand. We should keep doing this. <laughs> we should just keep going around the table and keep doing this to start with. Because in our congregations, when we are discerning well, we know each other well. We have strong interpersonal relationships. We know each other's stories. We've borne each other's pain. Uh, we've walked through the valley of, of darkness with each other. And we've celebrated the joys and, and other things with each other, too. We, do, we share life together in these various intimate ways. And to try to recreate that a little bit around the table through sharing stories. So I thought what we started to do is, I wish we had done more. And so I have a session in which we do that. We go around and we do all this sharing of these stories with each other to build rapport, to build trust, to, to invest in each other, and then spend time praying together. And starting with perhaps some of the things that have been shared. Some of these might be things we want others to pray for us about. And then we could think about praying for ourselves and those around the table praying for those who are dear to us back home, praying for our congregations and our local communities, and just work it out there to the larger church and the church around the world, and then pray, you know, and just encompass everything in our prayers and put everything under the mercy of God. And then let's eat. And men, I just like to do that, and we're good at that. But then let's eat together. Let's break bread together. Let's eat together or, or around the table, and so on. And then I can imagine in the afternoon, you spend time reflecting, reading and reflecting on scripture together, and not in an exegetical academic way, but in a more devotional spiritual way. And there are different models for doing that. There's Lexio Divina from the Benedictine tradition. There's what Mary Schertz has done. She's called a confessional Bible study, reading, reading the Bible as if your life depended on it, that kind of thing. So devotional reading, which is going to reflect each of us in our different ways and the different places we are in life and our experiences, but it's also going to be ways of taking up the scripture into our lives and, and sharing that with each other. And you could spend an afternoon doing that with four different texts, the prophets, the Psalms, the epistles, and the gospels. Kind of like maybe just take the lectionary readings, look up the Revised Common Lecture, take the lectionary readings for that coming Sunday and spend time with each of those around in these table groups. And none of this is geared to be geared towards producing a product we're going to vote on. What we're producing is just what we're doing around the tables and building, building church together, right? Being church together with each other around these tables. Uh, and then culminate the whole thing in a grand hymn sing. 
and 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 let throw the doors open. Anybody in the convention wants to come in. Anybody on the street hears the music wants to come in and join. Whatever, but then have a grand hymn sing in which we pull all this together in a hymn sing together. And say, what's this for? Just that, right? Of just getting us to the point where we can read and reflect scripture, pray together, and sort of build up. I had hoped we'd do more of that. That was one of the goals that was listed for the future church summit to help us be able to listen to each other and so on. Um, but we quickly moved on from that to discussing these other kinds of questions and so on, which some of which had heavy baggage to them, right? I mean, they were, some of them were really tough questions to talk about, good questions we need to talk about. But that kind of, uh, in that way, kind of interrupted the process of, uh, of learning to listen to each other around the table. I would, you know, throw that out there, take a day before the delegate body convenes to do any business, take a day to do that, to be church together around table groups for an entire day uh, as a way of and building. And of course, you're around the table with people from congregations, all and co- conferences all across and build that kind of uh, those kinds of relationships around the practices of faith sharing and praying and reading scripture and and singing together. I would say do it again, but without that kind of burden by that agenda that we're going to produce a product that's going to give us a resolution to vote on because that changes what we do. As soon as we make it about that, that changed what we were doing and gave it a different sensibility and a, a different tone to it. And I think I think we would have been better off not trying to work towards a resolution with as, as the product, the outcome of that kind of a process. But let the process itself just be one by which we try to build up the body of Christ. Well, that seems like a strong, strong word to leave us on. I think we're at the end of our time, but thanks so much, Darren, for joining Jason and I for conversation today. I'm very glad to do it. And thank you for the invitation. I was, I was happy to receive the invitation and good to connect with both of you again, even if only by way of a screen. That's right. That's right. Mediated communication. And to all those of you listening, you can find this episode and every episode of Peace Lab in many places on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and both the PGSN and the Mennonites websites. If you like what you're listening to, it helps us out a lot if you can share and give us a review on those platforms as well. So until next time, I'm Hannah Heinzecker, and Jason Boone was here as well. Jason, any parting words? Thanks for doing this, Darren. Good to talk to you. All right. We'll talk with you next time.